Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. I'm Jamison Coughlin, editor of LNG Insight, which provides subscribers with North American LNG news and pricing, plus key European and Asian fundamentals. Today, I'm joined by Patrick Rao, NGI's Director of Strategy and Research. Pat, thanks for joining me. Uh, I know that you're on the road today. That's not always the easiest for recording a podcast, so I do appreciate it. You bet. We'll certainly do the best we can. I'm at the Tampa airport, so you might hear monorails and flight announcements and so forth, but I apologize if you hear all that. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So um, Pat and I recently traveled to uh, Vancouver together to cover the Canada Gas and LNG exhibition and conference. Beautiful country up there. The city is really sort of flanked by mountains, um, you know, a great place to visit and do some reporting. And of course, Canada has a number of LNG projects in the works on both its east and west coasts. And we were able to really gain some, some good perspective on the LNG industry's evolution up there. So kind of to set the stage a little bit here before we get into a conversation, it should be noted that Canada has a pretty strong resource base. Um, they've got a number of unconventional plays up there and a pretty robust wholesale gas market. So it makes a lot of sense to export gas from Canada. The country produces about 16 billion cubic feet of natural gas per day, yet they really don't export any of that. Fortis BC started shipping small batches of LNG to Asia a couple of years ago, but that's that's really it. And this isn't for a lack of trying, that should be noted. 18 large LNG export projects have been proposed in Canada, mostly in, in British Columbia uh, on the country's west coast, where we were earlier in May. And, you know, Canada's West Coast is about a week closer to Asia than the Gulf Coast in terms of shipping. So it, it provides a number of advantages in, in that respect. You know, there are some other small-scale LNG export projects and the works in Canada, but the big project is LNG Canada. And that's being built. It's being led by Shell. It's got some pretty big players from Asia involved, including PetroChina, Petronas, Mitsubishi, and Korea Gas Corp. And this is a large project. It's got about 14 million metric tons per year capacity, but it won't be ready until 2025 at the earliest, given some of the pandemic-related setbacks and delays on the coastal gas link pipeline system that will feed the plant. And, and this is where I'm going to turn to you, Pat, and just say that my biggest takeaway from this show is that Canada is really kind of missing the boat on all this LNG demand right now, these, these sky-high prices in, in Europe and Asia, because they really don't have a horse in the race. They don't, they don't have an export project up and running. And you know, I know that the Canadian executives that we heard from at the show, others I spoke with, were really kind of marveling at the pace the U.S. has moved to get LNG exports up and running in the lower 48 as, as quickly as they have. So, I mean, Canada has been on the periphery for me, given everything that's going on, you know, on the Gulf Coast and, and, and overseas. But Pat, I have to ask, 
does this lack of progress up there and what the executives you know had to say about it all stand out to you too? Absolutely, it does. And I was quite surprised and shocked just having a largely a U.S. vantage point from all this. And just, you know, there are a lot of players in the United States that have been complaining about the lack of progress with infrastructure and so forth here. So to hear Canada to say that the United States is something uh, they're envious of our progress, that was very interesting. And, you know, I guess it all depends on how you frame that argument. I mean, it clearly, the U.S. has gone from only exporting a little bit of natural gas from Kenai, Alaska to Japan from for many, many years. The U.S. LNG a lower 48 market really opened up in February 2016 when Sabine Pass shipped their first cargo. And so we've gone from nothing to right now 13 BCF a day or so of gas exports. I mean, that's incredible. So when you look at it from that standpoint, yes, what the United States has managed to do has been phenomenal. But it's just the next incremental steps. We've certainly, you know, since 2016, much has changed in a lot of different ways in our industry, you know, not the least of them being just the ability to get pipeline permitting and so forth in the ground. So it's great what we've done so far. But the big question, literally the you know the multi-billion dollar question is, is that what are the next steps? And you know, there certainly has been some encouraging news from that from uh, the standpoint of the United States working with Europe and just trying to maybe expedite some of the permitting processes here in the U.S., but it's just talk right now. Until it starts to happen, it's not happening. But uh, I know this is something, though, that you and a lot of the other editors at uh, NGI have been following very closely and will continue to do over the next few quarters particularly. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it is interesting because we have heard a lot about regulatory setbacks and the regulatory hoops that that these guys have to jump through here in the United States. But to hear, you know, folks on stage in Canada tell it, you know, they're they're facing a lot of, I guess, regulatory hurdles to, you know, get these projects off the ground. And for me, one of the big things that, that stood out is that it, it can't be understated you know, how important cooperation with First Nations or Indigenous communities is in Canada. And I think that aspect has really sort of complicated a lot of projects up there. But it's 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 clearly very important from a cultural, economic, and regulatory perspective in the country. And almost any time anyone spoke, that was made very clear. And this has become so important up there that that Cedar LNG a project in, in British Columbia that's pretty close to where LNG Canada is being built is actually a, a Hazla Nation-led project. And, you know, it's important to note, too, that Coastal Gas Link, which, again, is going to feed LNG Canada, just reached an agreement to give First Nations along the route an ownership stake, which itself took some time and caused delays. So it will be interesting to see how quickly some of these other projects up there can sort of ride the coattails of LNG Canada and maybe get off the ground because we heard a lot about how LNG Canada is also setting an example up there in terms of sort of getting the industry started. So did you have anything else you wanted to add there, Pat, or do you want to switch it up a little bit? Well, no, I'm glad you brought up the 10% ownership by the First Nations because that was one of the big takeaways from the conference for me. And that's something that TC Energy also stressed on their most recent first quarter 2022 earnings conference call is this may be a crucial way to get business done in Canada going forward. You mentioned the delays with it, and that certainly did add to some delays to the overall coastal link process. But it could be trailblazing, no pun intended, 
on that. But this could be become something of a blueprint for how to get things done going forward. It's still going to be a challenge, though. So I might be anticipating your next question here is it's just there is a race globally to get new projects in place. Canada is not just competing with the United States or competing with other parts of the world. But if the United States is able to get its act together more quickly, that's going to be all the more difficult for Canada to get some of these projects done. You've got LNG Canada, which obviously is in the ground now, and that's the big large-scale project there. That gives them an advantage, in my opinion, to get another expansion maybe done that way. So are we looking at another new build large-scale project, or are we just potentially looking at, okay, here's LNG Canada. They've been down the road. They've solved some of these issues. They probably have a leg up to get there. You mentioned a couple of the other smaller-scale projects. Uh, Cedar LNG Wood Fiber is another one that's likely going to reach FID. But, you know, it, it very well could be the case that the key to future LNG coming from Canada is more on the small-scale side. And, look, the prize is huge there. I mean, it, if you look at our LNG Insight, I just took a look at what netbacks are in Western Canada just for the next 12 months. I mean, the netbacks in Western Canada are 46 times the price at ACO right now. That's incredible. So, you know, that's the price. It's just accessing that that's difficult. And, you know, just revisiting the regulatory issue one last time is this maybe helps to put the arguments in perspective is you've just you've got the arc resources. And before that, you had Tourmaline Oil. They've both signed integrated production management or IPM contracts with Chenier, where because they can't ship LNG out of their own country, they have to pay some pretty serious freight to ship it all the way down to the Gulf of the United States to get it going. So it's just been a tough, tough battle so far, certainly, but time is really ticking here. And if Canada wants to get serious about really increasing the scale of its LNG, they really got to get the regulatory act together very quickly in my view. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I, I think that that shows a strong desire to get in on the game. The fact that some of these Canadian producers are inking deals with Chenier, yep. you know, to get gas to the Gulf Coast, to get yep. to get exposure to um, these overseas prices. But I think, you know, ultimately that the preference might be to keep those supplies in Canada to to export from Canada. And as you mentioned, too, yeah, there's a low cost of supply in Canada. So if they can get some of these projects off the ground up there, it, it would work the other way too. You know, they would end up maybe giving some projects on the Gulf Coast a, a run for their money. So there is an interesting dynamic there. And that's kind of a good segue for one of the other things that I kind of wanted to get your take on, Pat. We've talked a lot about projects on the West Coast, but, you know, there's, there's a number of projects on the East Coast of Canada too. Bearhead LNG, Goldboro, there was another in Quebec. They just really haven't advanced at all. So, I mean, Pat, do you get the sense that, that those are going to continue to, to struggle to move ahead? Yeah, yeah most likely. I mean, I, I saw where uh, Piri Day and their Gold Bear, oh, excuse me, Goldboro project, you know, they're trying to relaunch that as an offshore facility. You know, one of their difficulties of just getting that onshore built was just cost overruns. And I think there was some regulatory red tape. And, you know, that made that difficult. So it'll be interesting to see how they were able to progress that because they did have half that gold barrel. It was uh, turned out to Uniper. And, you know, Uniper being German, we all now know what Germany is doing. You know, they went from having zero LNG terminals and they're planning to have at least three, I believe. So things have really turned on a dime there. I just think, though, with Western Canada, you have a little bit more of an issue of they just haven't really, excuse me, Eastern Canada, they haven't produced to the scale 
that other locations have, particularly in Western Canada and even the United States. And part of the issue here in what buyers of LNG want is they want surety of supply. Mm-hmm. And if you just don't quite have that track record producing, it gets difficult. There is an offshore project off New- of Newfoundland, which is you know farther northeast of say, uh, Nova Scotia. But no- Nova Scotia was home to Deep Anouk. And we know that that had some issues and that had to shut down. So, you know, look, some of these other areas we're talking about, it's not deep Panook, but we haven't necessarily had the greatest track record with safety of production coming out of the eastern uh, part of Canada. So that, I think, works heavily against them. Yet another problem here is that if the United States does get their act together, well, it's going to be a lot easier to get into the uh, more established production, say, of the Marcellus Shale, certainly down in the Haynesville. What I'm really interested in seeing is, is will there be more pipeline takeaway coming out of Pennsylvania? And might there be a few intrastate pipelines built in Pennsylvania? If that happens, obviously you, you bypass the FERC piece of this. But if Pennsylvania can get a few intrastate pipelines built, Who's to say they can't build another export facility or two coming out of Pennsylvania? If we start getting some more U.S. East Coast LNG export facilities built, it's going to be real difficult, I think, for the Canadian, Eastern Canadian ones to compete simply because Marcellus is about as sure supply as there is anywhere in the world for natural gas. So we're going to be watching that pretty heavily. Yeah, that's that's an excellent observation. And I'm, you know, I'm here in Pittsburgh and I, I, I covered the Appalachian Basin for many years and uh, I can tell you that I have heard rumblings that there are efforts underway to to get, you know, an export project, you know, off the ground over near Philadelphia. Obviously, you've got the Marcus Hook export terminal over there. You've I was got- just going to say that. I was going to bring up that very example. And that's been a raging success. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that that would just be absolutely ideal given the level of production here. But that's an excellent point in terms of competition with Eastern Canada. And, you know, the, the shale plays here in the Northeast U.S. Have, have given, you know, Canadian producers a run for their money as well. And I think snapped up a good bit of demand, too. It's, you know, I, it's, I wanted to emphasize, too, another point you made that a lot of the big unconventional plays in Canada are in Alberta. They are in mm-hmm. British Columbia. So I think that you're absolutely right there, too, in terms of, you know, offering surety of supply for export projects on the West Coast. So, yeah, OK, I think that we touched um, some of the high points from our conversations at the show and, and some of what we heard. Is, is there anything else before we wrap up, Pat, that you just kind of wanted to highlight that, that I maybe didn't bring up or, or anything like that? I would just say, and a little, this is unrelated to the Canadian conference, I'll switch just to the first quarter of 2022 earnings conference calls, is I have just never seen a time where LNG has been as hot as it is. And clearly this is the, the, the incremental driver here. Unfortunately, it's the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and now Europe's desire to increase its imports of LNG from other parts of the world and wean itself off of Russian imports. We're getting to the point now we're getting U.S. producers are trying the best they can to increase their exposure to international LNG pricing, either through just derivative deals or maybe trying to do some more IPM type of deals with Chenier. But interesting to me is that we're now getting those producers starting to talk about taking equity positions in some of these new potential export facilities in the United States. And if they do that, it really it's telling you that these publicly traded producers, and this is a large part who'd be doing this, 
they're going to start really increasing their capex. And that's something that the investment community has really not wanted them to do the last few years. Returns on invested capital have been huge. It have been a huge driver for them. So this would be very interesting to see certainly how the investment community would react. Now, you would think that the producers wouldn't do this if they weren't getting a positive return on invested capital. To do that, they're going to have to structure long-term deals, and it's going to have to be favorable to help to ensure that they're getting those positive returns on capital. And I can tell you, these producers have never really sold an international market before. There are a lot of moving parts to this. It's quite complex. So I'm sure there are a lot of conversations going along the various independent producers in the U.S., just how some of these contracts might work, how the pricing mechanisms work. But they're all largely on board and love the idea, if nothing else, getting some more price diversification in the form of some of these international prices. And you know, again, if you look at our LNG Insight, just see what some of the netbacks are to the United States. I mean, they're double-digit prices. I mean, they're huge. It was uh, one producer noted that something like 6% of their sales or volume last quarter were tied to international indexes, but it was 15% of their revenue. So it sort of gives you a magnitude of what this can do, at least right now, to the top line. But the key is for these producers, if they're going to take this plunge, how many are going to take it? They've got to be investment grade to do it. Not all the independents are. So in the short term, that's going to mean they're going to continue to pay down debt and you know, shy away from the drill bit. But the longer term, how are they able to structure these contracts to help to guarantee that they're going to make a positive return on their invested capital? And this is something that's going to be very, very closely watched by the investment community. And therefore, it's something that we at NGI are going to be watching very closely. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. It has been LNG, LNG, LNG. Um, it is the, uh, the the year of LNG. So the message for listeners out there is, you know, if you haven't been paying attention, you might want to start now. You know, we at Natural Gas Intelligence are following this very closely. Please check out NGI's LNG Insight at naturalgasintel.com and you can learn all about this. So yeah, great. Okay, thanks, Pat. I think that does it for today. Um, and, and thanks uh, again for agreeing to join me here on your travels today. Yeah, I appreciate it. I gotta go to pick up my wife now. She's over in the terminal. Right. Yeah. You better. You better get on that. I better, go, I better go do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And thanks to uh, all of you for listening to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.